0: Welcome, Secret Movie Clubbers, to Secret Movie Club Podcast 73. Today, we are going to be doing Dark Spielberg, anchored on War of the Worlds, which starred Tom Cruise, came out a few years after 9-11, and in my opinion, definitely should have been rated R, but got a PG-13. We'll talk about that. But a movie that I love, and I think only gets better, and we just screened it in the Million Dollar Theater on the big screen. But before we move on... ...with uh, War of the Worlds and Dark Spielberg, which is a whole sort of genre of Spielberg.
1: Uh, who is with us today? Hey, it's Daniel coming at you live from the Big Apple. Wow. Uh,
2: hey, it's me, Wade Cruz, the People's Champion, and sorry, America, Edwin's late again. He'll
0: arrive, though. So we're, uh, we're all parts of the country coming at you today. This week, by the time you hear this, Friday night, if we still have tickets... We are doing a Sean Baker double of Tangerine and Florida Project, two movies I love, and I'm a big fan of, I think, Sean Baker is one of the truly exciting uh, voices of the last 10 years to emerge. And we actually are really lucky because we have the lead actor from Florida Project, one of the lead actors, I should say, Bria, who plays the mother, and she does an amazing job, and the co-screenwriter of both of those movies, Chris Bergouch, I hope I'm saying your name right, uh, they're going to do a Q&A in between the films. So, uh, not only do you get to see two great movies but you actually get to Hear the filmmakers involved in them talk About how they made them then Saturday We are doing a David Fincher double At the million dollar theater we're doing seven And fight club on 35 millimeter Then Saturday night at 8 p.m. We are doing Scorsese's last temptation Of Christ on 35 millimeter At the secret movie club theater And then at 1130 p.m. At the secret movie club theater we are doing Our trailer fiesta where we're Showing 80 minutes of Exploitation B movie fun trailers on 35 millimeter at the secret movie club theater. We'd love to have you attend all of them the week after Wednesday. We are doing a fast movie. I love it's another deep dive Chinese roulette with just a crazy centerpiece sequence where the, this dysfunctional family and their lovers and their daughter all play a kind of truth and dare game German style. And then uh, next Thursday, Cronenberg Videodrome and Eastern Promises, both on 35 millimeter. And then Friday we are doing uh, Munich, but I'll announce that in the next podcast. But Munich is a good one because it is also dark Spielberg for sure. And Secret Movie Clubbers will already be a number of days in by the time you hear this. But we are now announcing our October 2021 I decided to go real big. So we are doing a horror of all kinds from all over the world. I hope great titles, almost all, basically if it was shot on 35, we're showing it on 35, the exception being Haxon a silent movie about devil worship from Sweden in the 1920s that I love, that is essentially a lot of imagery and iconography from that was uh, taken for The Witch, so that's a double bill, and both those will be done digitally, because Janice no longer has a functional, but I'll make one, because Hackson is dope. There's no longer any functional 35mm prints of that, so that is October 7th, so our Haxon and The Witch was shot digitally, so that's going to be digital at the Secret Movie Club Theater, but here's some confirmed titles on 35mm. Cape Fear, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Donnie Darko... Audition, Diabolique, Suspiria, Hellraiser, Beetlejuice. Big Trouble in Little China. I Saw the Devil, Shivers, Rabid, The Brood, The Fly, uh, Reanimator, From Beyond, Pulse, Phantasm, Hausu, Twin Peaks, Firewalk With Me, and Halloween uh, Night, which is a Sunday. I can announce the first part of a double feature, which is Halloween on 35mm, the original John Carpenter. Second feature to be announced early October When I I get it cleared for licensing reasons, I can explain it another time. And I didn't even announce everything right there. We have some other titles that I'm holding and that I want to announce, but I will announce soon. And as always, by the way, you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com, podcast at secretmovieclub.com. You can find out everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. And you can always just go to Eventbrite where we release all our tickets. You know, when a director can be further divided out into subgenre, the director themselves. That says something about the director and the sort of spectrum of their talent. Not many directors can do that. Spielberg is one of them. You know, Connor was pointing out that the director we've done the most podcasts on is Spielberg, not by accident. I am uh, hugely influenced by him. I have a huge amount of respect for him. And I also simultaneously feel that like a lot of artists who are amazing at what they do and then achieve a tremendous amount of commercial success people are very ambivalent about him and that's just something that you have to deal with but i feel he is every inch an artist as bergman is and i will just come out and say that
2: i think the reason why we've done so many podcasts is because i'm kind of similar i think Spielberg is where me and you, our tastes maybe overlap the most in certain ways and the two of us are the ones who decide what the podcasts are, so...
0: Yeah, and that's true, it's true, <laughs> it yeah. It makes sense. And by the way, we love dissent. I mean, we're doing more defend this movie, secret movie club audience. You don't have to agree with us. I have many close friends who always get angry at me and then I drink three martinis and, and just like, no, I could bring it on. Do you want to go? We'll go for three hours. I'm going to enjoy this martini and defend Spielberg. So, but I don't even think he needs defending, but nevertheless, I also want welcome the dissent. I also welcome people who, you know, Pauline Kale famously uh, said that Spielberg was a craftsperson, you know, and a lot of people have adopted that line that he's, he's an amazing craftsman, but not an artist. I think that line is bunko. I disagree with Pauline Kael actually way more than I agree with her, but I love that she had passion, and I love that for 10, 20 years, Pauline Kael was getting everyone excited about cinema, and I can't wait for the next Pauline Kael, and I look forward to debating with her. People probably know this, but interestingly, Spielberg out of the gate was doing, I would argue, fairly dark movies. Duel, Sugarland Express, Jaws, and Close Encounters all actually have fairly dark Undertones to them. They're clearly Spielberg movies, but his first phase was actually not what you would call the happy, bright, family affirming, happy ending. Optimistic Spielberg that would I think Sort of come to define his middle Phase which w- where he would put out Movies like E.T. of course Started with Raiders yeah he put out a lot Of movies that he produced Harry and the Hendersons Batteries not included like All these movies that he was a producer on in the 80s And Hook would be sort Of the end of that middle period Then he made Jurassic Park Schindler's List in 1993 And Schindler's he, he had tried to make A few dramas before most notably Color Purple and Empire of the Sun Empire I'm a huge fan of It's actually one of my favorites But even Empire You can feel the Positive Spielberg Wrestling with The unsentimental Spielberg That needs to give a tone To a movie that's unsentimental But then Schindler's By and large Although even that Has some uplift That people debate But Schindler's A pretty brutal picture And after that When he came back He started to be More comfortable Diving into darker things When 9-11 happened In uh, September 11th of 2001 He Really really kind of went for it and you got this run of pictures AI minority report war of the worlds uh munich where he was very comfortable or he felt he needed to because he was so upset, as Connors often said, by the Iraq war and by what happened after 9-11 and by 9-11 itself. So in 2004, he made War of the Worlds with Tom Cruise, which itself was a remake of a 1950s version of the War of the Worlds, which itself had been an Orson Welles radio uh, show that really launched Orson Welles, which itself was an adaptation of an H.G. Wells novel. The movie was a hit. But it was by no means as big a hit as everybody thought it was It became part of what Spielberg would call his unofficial 9-11 trilogy Which would be War of the Worlds, The Terminal Which is actually kind of an upbeat picture And uh, Munich And it's filled with all this 9-11 iconography But re-transformed into sci-fi imagery The movie is about an alien invasion As seen from the point of view of a kind of deadbeat dad actually Played by Tom Cruise That
2: is most believably schlubby, I would say
1: And the two kids that are just there for the weekend. Uh, I'm in the same camp. I really like War of the Worlds. And when I saw it, I would have been 14 and I I was a pretty late bloomer to the horror fields. So I think the year before I had seen Saw and that was kind of my like, okay, I'm going to start trying to get into horror stuff. And War of the Worlds did not seem like something that would test those boundaries, but it, as a fourteen-year-old, gave me uh, multiple nightmares and was a very jarring experience. I
2: have the exact same story. I saw it. I, I'm a year younger than Daniel. It Actually, came out two thousand five, so we would have been fifteen and fourteen, and I remember seeing it, you know, I would go for weekends up to my grandparents' place in Temple, Texas. Just a small little town and they had a little mall with a movie theater in it. And sometimes when they were when my parents and my grandparents were doing something that I didn't care about, they would just drop me off and be like, Here, go see a movie. <laughs> I remember just seeing War of the Worlds there just by myself. And then that night at my grandparents not being able to sleep and there was like a storm approaching and I just kind of sat at the window watching that storm get closer.
1: My first experience, so I think it was probably around that time, an English teacher who I think was excited for the film, we, he, he assigned some excerpts from the novel and then we listened to the radio program, which I think I assume was Orson Welles and he really hyped it up as being sort of like the mythology of it was like, no one knew this was how it was presented on the radio as if it was real and everyone was horrified. And so I really just like built up in my head, this idea of this thing that people heard and thought was real, even though that's not maybe proven, I still think the mythology behind it is really exciting. And than the experience of the film, which is I, like you it's it's kind of just jarring. You spend a little bit of time getting to know sort of like the characters and the foundation, and then it's really just unrelenting for the rest of the runtime. And I think the imagery it invokes, which I think a lot of filmmakers turn to post nine eleven, but that the nine eleven imagery, especially of the aliens when they were when when the weapons were used on people, they would just disintegrate into Ash, the people would, would run through. Having like grown up what the media's coverage of nine eleven on my child brain had really warped sort of how I contain that, I think, emotionally. And so then having going through a film that was really invoking those, that imagery was really jarring to me.
2: Yeah, that stuff really feels like Spielberg kind of wrestling and almost exercising the country's post nine eleven trauma because just taken as a singular, you know, event, because I think Munich is more about the Iraq war and like what happened after 9-11 and War of the Worlds is more about the event itself. And I remember 9-11, I mean, this just goes back even further. I remember that being an event. I would have been 10 when that happened. I just remember, you know, being in Magnolia, Texas and being like, are they going to hit here next? (laughs) And obviously it's stupid thinking about it now, but I was genuinely as a kid, like truly worried about that.
1: And that imagery le- lends itself so well to War of the World, because this adaptation places the aliens that they had prepped this and were these machines were underground, awaiting, which I think some people, at least we got reactions to, did not like that. But it sort of felt that way as a kid, this concept of, oh, are we, is my city next for this uncertainty in American culture at the time? And War of the Worlds capitalized on that, we're like, well, they're already here. They've been waiting. They've been waiting for this moment for you. And that really, I think, exasperated and made it scarier to me.
0: One of the criticisms leveled at Spielberg, and I think it's valid and I I respect this criticism, is the debate about to what extent does Spielberg really intelligently control his appropriation of sort of societal trauma and to what extent is he exploiting it? And I think that's a valid thing. And that was leveled at Schindler's list. A lot of people in Europe felt only Spielberg would make a movie about the Holocaust with a happy ending, essentially.
2: I think Terry Gilliam has a quote about that. Right.
0: But it's not Gilliam, it was Godard. Like a lot of European or European centric filmmakers came out against Spielberg for that. And then a lot of people came out against Spielberg appropriating very real 9-11 imagery for a sci-fi film And I think that's a very valid debate I think the thing that I marvel at Because it's probably Something I think about a lot and we've been Showing a lot of Spielberg we just saw Saving Private Ryan and we Did Minority Report we did War of the Worlds Is how Well Spielberg And his writers and his team Can take things that are going On and somehow filter Them into a story that if you don't want to think about it, you can just watch a movie about alien invasion. And if you do want to think about it, you can really, I mean, I think in some ways, and I I don't know how to explain this, I think I'm a little more traumatized by War of the Worlds than my actual experience of 9-11 on that day. I, of course, am about a decade older than you guys, and I was in college, I was 23, in grad school, my first year of grad school, and I happened to just get up very early that morning. I've always remembered this. I normally got up when the events would have been done, but I got up that morning at about 5.30 in the morning, Pacific Standard Time, and watched everything in real time. And what I remember, because I went to a gym of all things that one day and it was on all the TVs and before they could scrub the imagery um, and I know I don't, I don't know I'm not a big fan of trigger warnings but I do want to say I'm going to talk about traumatic stuff right now they were still showing people jumping from the buildings which is something that no one talks about as much anymore because it was so traumatic but there were people who decided that they were not going to get out of the world trade centers alive and there was horrific imagery of people uh, holding hands and jumping sorry man I'm tearing up a lot when you get older you tear up sorry guys You start to feel stuff more
2: Oh, no, for sure I've heard those phone calls from people inside And they're, I mean, they're horrifying
0: It's interesting I didn't have the feeling they were coming to LA I I had this feeling that this was a targeted terrorist attack You know, but still, that morning It was like They hit the towers. They hit the Pentagon. A plane went down in Pennsylvania. And you really were like, what the F is going on? And so I think that imagery in War of the Worlds of trauma that you don't want to see but you do see, the thing that I got out of the screening this time we just did it was that horrible thing where Dakota Fanning goes to the river to urinate and suddenly all these bodies of people in business suits and dresses just float down the river with no explanation. Now, I think it's legitimate to say, well, why did you channel that imagery into what you hoped would make $500 million as a summer blockbuster? My response to that would be, well, we have to deal with that collectively. We can't just be like, well, only these people can deal with it. And Spielberg as a citizen saying, you know, how do we deal with that collective trauma? How do we deal with what we saw? How do we deal with that? in this movie told from the point of view of a family who has no idea what's going on which is how most of us felt i felt that was legitimate and appropriate i felt he had a right to do it and i think that every time i see that movie i'm able to come back at 9 11 in a way that's a little distanced one of my favorite sequences in the movie i, I think connor you and i may have maybe even talked about it.
2: i think the sequence you're about to talk about To me, as a horror guy, this to me is the scariest sequence in any movie for me. It's the sequence that freaks me out the most. And
0: I think this is why I want to say Spielberg is an artist, is you're watching a movie about alien invasion, ostensibly... The scariest moment should be dealt with, and there are horrifying things with the aliens. But the most horrifying moment and the stroke of genius in the movie is that Tom Cruise tells his son, "Don't drive near people because they're going to want our car." Tom Cruise falls asleep because he's just been up for so long. When he wakes up, the son is driving near people, not because the son wanted to. Son's just young and doesn't know what's going on. Suddenly, people swarm their car. A guy pulls a gun on Tom Cruise. They get ripped out of the car. Dakota Fanning's still in the car. Tom. Cruz actually pulls the gun first. I'm sorry. Tom Cruise pulls the gun first to get people away. Then another guy points a gun at Tom Cruise. His daughter is still in the car. People flood into the car to get the car. Some guy is pounding the front windshield with his bare hands and ripping the glass. And Tom Cruise, just by like dint of begging gets Dakota fanning out and then people shoot the guy in the car. And,
2: yeah. And it keeps going. Even when, even when they get out of this situation, these people just going insane, desperate for the car. It's still- just keeps going.
0: And that sequence drives home that people, when they're panicked and they don't know what's going on, are going to behave in hysterical ways, which I think is an absolutely true observation that has been proven again and again in history. And that sequence was really to me saying, we're the biggest danger to ourselves based on if we ever mass panic in the face of something horrific. That's a genius sequence of horror because it's people and it could happen.
2: First of all, I just want to say that I think Dakota Fanning in this is like one of the best like kid performances in any movie. She is so good for being as young as she is in this. I think it's worth noting the ending just because I know the ending is a little controversial. I think it's from the book. That basically the aliens are defeated, not really by us, but by biology, which I think is actually I think the more I watch it, the more I actually appreciate it, because I think it kind of goes into some of the stuff about when the people are like they've been here for thousands of years. The idea that this thing that's been there even longer, which is just biology, germs, is is what defeated them, I think is interesting. I think the big cop-out at the end, personally, is when the sun shows back up. They shouldn't have said he died, but it should have just been... Ambiguous. Yeah, for people who don't know, the son in the first half of the movie is wanting to be independent of Tom Cruise. He's he's older. Dakota Fanning is still a kid. He's on the edge of becoming a man. Probably like what 16, 17, I'm guessing, is where he's supposed to be. I
0: think that's where he's supposed to be. He looks a little older. They cast someone who looks a little older. But I he is, yeah, because he takes the dad's car without a
2: license. About halfway through the movie, Tom Cruise has a choice between his two kids, essentially. And Dakota's fanning is helpless, but the son is basically like, I want to go fight. I want to be there. I want to help. And the son leaves, and we just don't really see what happens to him. Although it is implied he dies. For sure, because there's a giant explosion. And then at the end of the movie, he just shows back up when Tom Cruise gets to his ex-wife's house. Yeah, like I said, I think is, is a little bit of a pop out.
0: And this introduces, I think, another valid criticism of Spielberg, which is that Spielberg really has a tough time Letting things be dark the whole time And I get it, you know, your strength is your weakness So War of the Worlds does end on an up And Minority Report ends on an up Although I think in Minority Report, seeing it this this last time I think that up works for me But, you know, Schindler's
1: List ends on an up AI it's argued, ends on and up. My, I know people don't like the ending for those reasons, but I do think it's interesting because I think it still resonates today. We sort of had this. It's it's following sort of a, a push in the art in culture and art about sort of taking global warming seriously. It was a few years after like Al Gore really was pushing sort of his agenda to bring awareness to things. And so it, it's fitting that the thing that will defeat us all is the thing that we're sort of or losing our symbiosis with because we're we're doing so much damage to it. And I think it's interesting that even these aliens, these superior creatures, still can't beat the thing that exists on like a galaxy spectrum, this the planet that evolves to meet the things that are that are trying to destroy it. I think it works thematically like that. I do think that the happy ish ending is kind of a little bit jarring, but I think it sort of works maybe because it's one happy ending. I do agree with Connor that if the sun, even if he didn't know he was that if it was just ambiguous would have been a more effective Yeah, I agree with that
2: I like him getting there With Dakota Fanning And I like Dakota Fanning Going up to the family And Tom Cruise kind of just like Hanging out outside I, I feel like that's Maybe a deliberate Reference to um, The Searchers, right? With Tom Cruise Not really ever going Inside the home At the end
1: And then I, I think The other thing People discuss a lot Is the scene with Tim Robbins In the house Which as a scene I really like But people seem to be Really against it That seems to be The one point At least the, from what I was reading In responses to stuff that, they, that scene just Does not work for people
0: That's where a lot of people say the movie goes downhill is starting when they go down in the house Surprisingly now that i've seen the movie three or four times that scene every time I see it bothers me less now to the point where I enjoy aspects of it, but you're right Most people say they enjoy war of the worlds until they go into the basement
2: I feel like that's kind of the scene where maybe the movie's kind of shifting to more about the iraq war than 9-11 in terms of like reactions people had to it and the way people were able to sort of deal with it emotionally and more of in a long term sense because Tim Robbins is kind of deluded he's he's been worked up into this frenzy. <laughs> A useless frenzy against the aliens
0: I still War of the Worlds is one of those movies and I've said This about a lot of movies it has problems I mean most movies do have problems By the way I mean very few movies Don't have problems and I would be so Lucky to make a movie with problems I haven't made a movie But I feel that I don't really buy or understand Why Tom Cruise has to kill Tim Robbins I understand why they have the scene I understand it's all about these Hard moral and ethical choices in a horrible Situation I get it and he Asked to protect his daughter but I don't feel That Tim Robbins is enough of a threat Or that there aren't other outs at that Moment that the only thing Left to Tom Cruise is to bludgeon Tim Robbins with a shovel so I do Think that there are problematic issues Also you see the aliens In that sequence they like come down and check Out a bike and then take off and I'm not So sure that that was the best use of screen Time there but there is a lot in that sequence The little probe thing and how they're all quiet Around the that's dope I'm down with that And all the blood vines stuff. is pretty dope.
2: Tom Cruise reminds me of a friend's divorced dad. His place reminded me of places I've like, spent the night at. That's why I think <laughs> I said earlier he's the most believably schlubby that Tom Cruise has ever been.
0: Something people probably may or may not know is it's been rumored that Spielberg and Cruz worked on two dynamite pictures together, a Minority Report and War of the Worlds, easily, in my opinion, two of Spielberg's great movies of the last 25 years. And then they never worked together again, even though they would probably be very potent. They're still both draws. And it's been rumored that Spielberg had issues with, you know, Tom Cruise's Scientology, and neither of them have ever, you know, addressed it. To Connor's point, I've been impressed at how Cruz, throughout his career, will occasionally take a, you know, Interview with the vampire Or he'll take a uh, War of the worlds Or he'll take an Edge of tomorrow Where he plays Almost an anti-hero I just think that As he ages I mean now he's sort of Been just doing Ethan Hunt Action saint uh, <laughs> For for however many years And I would just say To Mr. Cruz That it would be Interesting to see him Take some anti-heroes When he's willing To do that It adds an interesting Color to the
2: movie I think he would be A great I mean maybe this isn't The exact same thing You're talking about I think he'd be great As Wonder Man in the Marvel movies, who Wonder Man is a superhero who's also like an actor who's kind of a jerk. I think (laughs) Tom Cruise would have probably had a lot of fun with that, honestly.
0: Magnolia, another great anti-heroic performance. Probably his best anti-heroic performance, frankly.
2: Yeah, before you conclude War of the World, I love War of the World. To me, a movie isn't like top tier because it's perfect, because I don't think that's a thing you can maybe even get to. It's when something happens in the movie that's like, almost transcendent not like literally where i'm seeing god or anything i mean sometimes but more so just the idea that this movie does something on a level that i don't really get from another movie and war of the worlds creeps me out in a way that i don't know if any other movie does
0: you know it's arguable that spielberg has made dark movies throughout his career i mean we talked about temple of doom And you certainly, I mean, that deals with child slavery and hearts getting ripped out. And, you know, is the horror, as Connor has said, it's the horror Indiana Jones for sure. But Daniel, what are your thoughts on Dark Spielberg? I
1: know we have like this sort of Dark Spielberg period, but I think there's, like you were saying, there's tidbits of stuff. I was talking to Edwin about like how as a kid, I remember I loved Jurassic Park, but The Lost World always felt like there was some extra undertone that was just sort of like a little bit more dreadful than Jurassic Park. I think Jurassic Park had a the family edge to it and was sort of about the park. And there was like the adventure moments of it. And The Lost World felt more like people putting themselves at risk to try and fix something or reobtain something. And it had this undertone that just felt kind of scummy to it. In the dark realm, uh, I don't know if, if Saving Private Riot counts, but I, I just have such a visceral memory of when my parents decided to let me watch that and how we ended up having to stop and like hang out after Omaha Beach because... I mean, it's, you know, 45 minutes or whatever, and it's just so, so, like, sensorily numbing to, like, have to contend with. Which, I, my parents had warned me that it was going to be intense, but I also was, like, you know, uh, a young film kid and was like, it's Spielberg, you know, he does this stuff. And then that really, like, shook me up. But I think, honestly, in the pantheon, which is Minority Report Part of the Dark... The Darkverse. I think that's my, my favorite of them. Minority Report was the one that I was kind of surprised growing up because I, I saw it not in theaters, but I saw it on home video and it was the one I kept going back to to show friends and stuff. And I was always surprised that it wasn't the one that got brought up in conversation a lot because it also had a great N64 game. It always was the one that stuck out, I think, because I was big into Mission Impossible. Having Cruise in that felt so cool to me. And the older I've gotten, the more I think it holds up really well is still one of his best and it still speaks to some like alarming themes that we still seem to struggle with as a a country. Spielberg has
0: this brilliance at imagery and translating things cinematically that almost no one else has, only the best of the best have. And that image in Minority Report where he loses his son and the way that Spielberg shows that is just the watch falling in the pool. It's unbearable I can tell you It's unbearable And you look at the cinema of it Because he has way too many people In the pool Just to drive home How crowded that pool is He almost <laughs> Has a gift That he may not be aware of For just horrific imagery If he wants to do it And, and that, that's just an example Of a Spielberg haiku How do you show a son Being stolen And you don't show the son Being grabbed And ah You literally show Them playing a game And Cruz smiling As a watch falls down Oh, and why'd he drop the watch? And you're like, oh boy.
2: I think Munich is obviously super interesting. In a lot of ways, Munich is more directly about the Iraq War and about the idea of the reaction we had as a country to 9-11. That and War of the Worlds coming out the same year is, I think, th- the meanest he's ever been. The most mad. <laughs> I also really like, early on in his career, one of his first movies I think is a little bit darker, is Sugarland Express, which I really love, which I think I've talked about earlier in the year. In that first period, which isn't quite as light as his second or as dark as some of the stuff that we're talking about is. So it's an interesting kind of mix. It sort of sits more on, like, the Jaws tone. It's a
0: young man's tone.
2: But I really like Sugarland Express one of my one of my favorites the out of the the second favorite out of the ones we're showing is ai which i watched most of it again when we showed it this last week i really like ai i think it's great i think it's doing some interesting stuff whether it totally all like clicks into place completely i i don't know it's so interesting that i can't be like upset with the decisions it makes because even the weird decisions maybe even bad decisions are interesting decisions i think at the end of the movie for people who don't know ai is haley joe osmond and he plays a little robot boy and it was produced by stanley kubrick and so you can see his influence it's very segmented like kubrick films are in the first segment he's just living with his new family and in the second segment is this sort of journey he has almost like pinocchio to become a a, a real boy and then the third segment is this kind of extended epilogue but the ending of the movie itself Is essentially him and his mother just falling asleep and dying in a tomb together, which for a happy ending is still pretty bittersweet. I would say
1: jumping back a bit to Jaws, I think has such a dark overtone. All of all of it, like it's a summer blockbuster spectacle, adventure thing that has like a bunch of horror elements, but like the core of so many of the characters are just this obsession that lets them not have to pay attention to, like, the life around it. Like, I think Roy Schneider's character has this family that he cares about, but also feels this call to this greater purpose that he sees, that no one sort of will get behind him. And this mayor who sees the, like, view of his um city versus, like, what needs to be done to protect the people. And um, Robert Shaw's entire character, his entire speech is just a broken man. Like, his obsession is his driving force like does not care his outcome so long as he can finish this thing that compels him and there's like a real darkness to that entire this dude
2: hates sharks yo i heard <laughs> that you had a shark out there and i'm 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 here to f- it up
1: scrape down the jackboard <laughs> You ever seen that movie, Connor? It's a good yeah, movie. It is a good movie. Oh, you're channeling Edwin. Yeah. <laughs>
0: AI, we just rewatched. I actually had a very visceral reaction against AI when I saw it on its opening. I love the first hour. I was befuddled by the second hour, and then the third hour enraged me, or whatever, the last 30 minutes. Watching it this last time, it still has problems. I think a lot of them in the script, and the dialogue, but... Nevertheless, as Connor said, the ideas are fascinating. I think it is now, I think it is a great movie. The ideas of what constitutes real what constitutes artificial what constitutes emotion what constitutes a simulated emotion what's our responsibility and does that line even matter in the same way that great kubrick is always about ideas those ideas now i realize are all throughout ai
2: it's been weirdly reevaluated like kubrick stuff too where a lot of his stuff came out and people were just like ugh and now i think more and more people are like this is there's some interesting stuff here
0: absolutely and i would say that it's the one time where a lot of people well a few times where people now are are saying at Spielberg was ahead of us. Now I think that was aided by Kubrick But I I definitely think AI is one of his great movies And I will just add I'm a big fan of Empire of the Sun Which stars a very young Christian Bale Who is an entitled snobby Child of a British diplomat In Shanghai during World War II And ends up in a Japanese internment camp And I think that Empire of the Sun Has one of the greatest dark Spielberg endings Of any Spielberg movie Where you go on this odyssey With Christian Bale's boy And he goes through things and sees things And has to do things because his parents are gone It's the ultimate child nightmare You're separated from your parents You don't know if they're alive or dead You've got to make your own way And when they're reunited at the end of the picture It's this beautiful ending I think aided by Tom Stoppard's script Where Bale, as a boy, his parents He's reunited with his parents But he's just traumatized And he can't be the boy they knew He can't embrace them happily He's just survived And it's one of the few times where I think That Spielberg lands the plane And commits to an ending that feels organically earned. So I would encourage everybody to see it. It's one of my top five Spielbergs.
2: Pop culture and final thoughts. I'll just shortly shout out a new movie because I haven't seen a lot of press for it, but I really liked it, especially the main three performances. Small Engine Repair, which is for the first half is kind of just about a bunch of guys from nearby Boston just hanging out and then takes a turn. Specifically, two of the three leads, John Bernthal and Shea Wiggum are just incredible in it and give... Really great performances. That's
1: such a good cast. What the heck?
2: And you can watch me play video games at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz. War of the Worlds is horrifying. It should be really hard. It's a dark film. Not my favorite Spielberg because that's the only Spielberg movie that I do not visit to. It's creepy. It's horrifying. The only thing that's more terrifying than the aliens are the people in the movie. Tim Robinson is a monster as well.
0: Do you you have a favorite Dark Spielberg movie?
2: I'm going to say my Nerd Report. Minority Report is probably my favorite. Yeah, I think I think Minority Report uh, gets to me because that's like one of the greatest sci-fi action movies I ever seen in a long time from Spielberg. Well, cool, it's great having you on this episode, Edwin. Thank you, thank
1: you, uh, I do conciseness. I've been very busy. I'm a little behind on stuff, but I did watch for the first time The Sixth Sense on the plane. I had never seen it. It was one of those movies that I was I was not a big horror person as a kid, early teen. I was already scared of it, and it was so talked about that I felt that I knew the twist. What could I get out of it? But I thought it was very effective and very affecting. It was a good little thing. I also watched The Father, which Anthony Hopkins won Best Actor for. It was really good. One of those things that is just so kind of such a miserable type of watch that I don't know if I'd return to it, but it's very good. It's very clear with what it's doing. Uh, I learned it's a stage play, which makes a lot of sense because it sort of has that. But it's sort of its whole kind of dynamic is that it's it's a, a man with, I believe, dementia. And so the movie is edited in a way where conversations are repeated and locations change, but you don't realize it in the same way he doesn't realize it. And so it's a very if you have someone in your family that I struggle with that, it's a very it's kind of a difficult thing to watch because i think his performance is very accurate with that
2: four stars miserable says daniel yeah.
1: <laughs> i love i love some misery to be honest
2: you gotta shout
0: out tony hopkins for continuing to act like the hell out of out of
1: things into his 80s when many of his contemporaries have retired he's yeah, honestly insane and then i'm gonna go see uh malignant James Wan's new movie at the Alpine Cinema, which apparently is one of the oldest cinemas in New York built in 1921. I'm going to go catch that sometime this week because I didn't know it existed and James Wan... I'll see stuff. So I had to edit a doc this weekend. Um, my
0: grandmother-in-law passed away at 90, and we had her wake just yesterday. And I had shot a documentary of her about five years ago, and I had never gotten around to editing it. And my wife's family asked if I would put something together. And I ended up having to watch all the footage and do it in one night. Essentially. And easily after having watched all the footage, I was like, there's no way I can do justice to this. What do I have to do? But I'm going to, I got to get this because the the wake is tomorrow. So I just ended up going through my editing logs and pulling the best scenes and doing the equivalent of a 30 minute like assembly. And then I did a little editing at the end and I hated it. I hated it, but I was like, this has got to get out. I got to get there. It's got to be something. And the thing that I realized was it seemed to go over okay. I mean, not like anyone's going to come to you at a wake and Be like, that sucked, your filmmaking Sucks, but the thing I Realized was, weirdly You could edit the hell Out of something bad (laughs) And it's still gonna be bad Or you could pull the best scenes from something and not edit it at all, and people will still respond if there's some life and vitality in it because they got to see my abuela, not my abuela. Everyone's abuela. Everyone was laughing. Basically, I cut it together as a celebration of the family being together, and the family seemed to respond to that. And I was just a weird lesson to me that if you had to edit something super quick and you pulled the best stuff. Even if it was really rough, people will Respond to it, or you could use all your Editing tricks in the book on material That's totally inert, and it's just not Going to work, and I I was like, huh, that's interesting It sort of broke me of this Idea that I have to be precious about my editing Now, I would much rather, and I'm going to do it I told everybody, I'm going to edit this thing for Christmas, so there's going to be an edited Version, but I was like, huh, you know, in a pinch You pull the best stuff, do the best you can Don't be super precious about it, and it might Still work, but I don't know that I'm right on that I'm not saying that's a catch-all, it's certainly not an excuse used to be lazy by any stretch, but it was an interesting awareness of how the brilliance of stuff really lies within the material itself. There we go. Thank you guys for being here. It was wonderful to have you. Next week, Secret Movie Club Podcast 74 is going to be about spiritual movies anchored on Martin Scorsese's Last Temptation of Christ. When we say spiritual cinema, I would include in that somebody who devotes a movie to an atheist statement that's brilliant and shakes your world as well. So the spiritual cinema podcast is not just Jesus juice, forgive anybody. And I'm a, I'm a practicing Christian. I just want people to know. But you're going to hear me speaking irreverently because I believe the only way to get a true spirituality is irreverence. So if you're not down for that, uh, you're not going to like it.
2: Blasphemer.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I any good Irish Catholic is a blasphemer. So you, you can't be a card-carrying Irish Catholic and not be blasphemous. Those two things don't go together. So as always, I want to thank our chief creative content officer, Connor Lloyd-Cruz, who has always edits all of this. You can reach us at community at secretmovieclub.com and podcast at secretmovieclub.com. When you hear this Friday night, we are going to have the star of the Florida Project, Bria Vitante. I hope I'm saying her name correctly. She plays the mother in Florida Project and gives an amazing performance. And we're going to have the co screenwriter of Tangerine and Florida Project, Chris Bergouch, with us. Saturday, we're doing a David Fincher double of seven and Fight Club on 35. Saturday night, we're doing Scorsese's Last Temptation of Christ on 35. And at 11 30, our return to midnights with an 80 minute trailer fiesta of great fun trailers on 35 mm at the secret movie club theater and you should go to eventbrite because we're going to start to announce our october and we'll be four days in of announcing events including uh what we hope is a great halloween night event at the million dollar theater of halloween on 35 mm and a second feature i cannot yet announce and there you go all right guys i'll see you next week peace in the bay